Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend Chris Dow, Clementines and Satsumas, and my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Celebrate yourself. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. You bloody are. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into the episode, we'd just love to give you a couple of usual reminders. The first being our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, click on the subscribe button. Oh, we'd appreciate that if you did. And there's loads of reasons to do so. We've got tons of video content on there now. We've got streaming activity, including the recent Inky Dunk series, where me and Minty have been recording runs of The Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus. There are Our Three Cents approved videos featuring games that have appeared on all three of our lists. There's even even bloody miniature documentaries that Chris has produced about the history of video games. Loads of things worth checking out, so please do that. If you're really enjoying what we're doing, we also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash our3cents. If you head over to there, you can find a whole plethora of perks up for grabs in exchange for some pennies of subscription on your part. These include custom artwork access to exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes, full bonus episodes, even this. You ready? Yeah, go on. Access to the R3Sense Patreon-exclusive Discord channel. Oh, oh, boy. And it is a great place to be. Oh, I tell you what. And there's even bonus video content up there now as well. So if you don't want to miss out, or you just want to support us a little bit more than you already do, then head over to that website and... Have a check it out. <laughs> so this week we have my ninth favourite video game of all time. Yes. And are you, are you as excited as Full I am, boys ahead. and girls? Full steam ahead. I, I can't wait. Twitching Ooh, the metaphorical curtains. All my tusks are <laughs> you in for a treat. But before we get to that, it is time to return to the quiz where it is a, 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 a flabbergasting 47 all. <laughs> Here we go. Tetris has sold more than 495 million copies worldwide, making it the most popular video game ever. In the original version of the game, what is the maximum number of lines that can be can be eliminated at one time? (laughs) Shit. The correct answer is bastard shit. (laughs) Uh, No, it is four. Well done, Chris. I mean, if you if you hadn't have got that, Chris, you would have had some blushes. I, I know, but I mean, that was one that if Minty had waited for the question to be finished, he would have known the answer as well. So then it would have been fastest finger yeah. and phone delay, which was the, yeah. the you know the key point. So I'm glad he shot his yeah. ward early. <laughs> so before we dive into talking about what we've been playing this week, and, and we have been playing this week, something big happened in the last week, which was a brand new Nintendo Direct. It was a full Nintendo Direct for the first time since, I think it was September 2019. And it featured a a lot of stuff, many, many announcements, lots of 
existing games coming to the Switch, including Fall Guys, Stubbs the Zombie, and Outer Wilds. I'll certainly be picking up Fall Guys, and I'll have my eyes peeled for a nice physical collector's edition of Outer Wilds, I think. I don't know anything about Stubbs the Zombie, so... Um, it's a classic. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. It there were some big new game announcements uh, also, uh, including a new Mario Golf game coming to the Switch, the long-awaited HD port of The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, a pseudo-sequel to Octopath Traveler, an expansion pass for Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, a port of Miitopia from the 3DS, yes. <laughs> and the rather unexpected third entry in the Splatoon series. Mm. Now, for me... I'm surprised at what got me the most excited. Stubbs the Zombie. It's not Stubbs the Zombie. It was, it's the new Mario Golf <laughs> yeah. game. I am... Ah, oh, my... I mean, obviously, me and Chris both had the Game Boy Color version of Mario Golf on our list, for good reason. It is possibly the most fun golf game ever made, and I will personally fist fight anyone that says otherwise. Whoa. The thing that really set that game apart from other golfing games was the superb RPG edge the game had, which saw your golfer go from a rookie to a pro and take over the golfing world. And it, it, oh, it was just, it was brilliant. It mashed like the outstanding RPG designs of Camelot, who developed it, who also developed like the Shining series and the Golden Sun series. <laughs> so like proper RPG big guns. Big boys. And it, it's hugely exciting to see the story mode like be touted as a big feature of this new game because that's what's that's what's going to elevate this game to another level. It's also got that mad looking new multiplayer mode called Speed Golf, which sees you having to traverse the courses like a 3D Mario game in between your shots rather than the standard format of just, you know, appearing where your balls landed to take your next shot. And I think it from the looks of it, it looks it's it's less about trying to get your ball in the hole in as few shots as possible. And it's just all out time attack to see who can do it fastest. And I, I'm, I'm sure that will be a, a lot of fun. I absolutely can't wait. I love golfing games. Yeah. I love Mario games. I love Camelot games. Sign me the shit up. Mm. <laughs> the holy trinity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also really looking forward to playing Skyward Sword. I'm intrigued to see how the control stick substitute for motion controls works i'm hoping it's really good as i don't really like motion controls and don't often have the time to clear space for me to stand and, and play something like that for a lengthy duration of time like i think that was to be honest it really i mean that I'm, I'm 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 interested in the new octopath traveler game although i'm not i haven't well i haven't got a huge amount of experience with like tactics RPG games. I'm not that fussed about the Age of Calamity expansion pass, even though I think it was a fantastic game. You know, we said at the time, like, thank goodness it's not as big as the first one because we actually stand a chance of completing it. <laughs> but, you know, that's a dream that is, is disappearing further into the into the uh, horizon with, with an expansion pass. I don't know what else they can do with it. What story is there left to tell? I, I think it's going to be just a bunch of challenge missions. Yeah, it's just going to be new rules on the same maps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it, to be fair, like people will lap that up and it's going to require minimal work. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I, th I think if you look at like the way the original Horror Warriors is structured with its content, you could argue that some of it is lazy because it does reuse a lot of assets and it, it just repurposes things. But I guess it's just an yeah. economical way to, to give people more of yeah. something they enjoy. And I, I don't I don't have too much of a problem with that. 
you know, I, I'm not going to rush out and buy the expansion pass until I get through the the main game this time. <laughs> yeah, because as we as we said, you know, I, I never quite found the 950 hours it would take to beat Horror Warriors Definitive <laughs> Edition. So with this one, no, you know, I'm I'm taking my time. I do a level here and there when I'm in the mood, and that's kind of good enough. I think, as is the case with a lot of directs, if they're mini directs or indie directs or anything, everybody like is straight out of the gate being like, right, Switch Pro, Metro Prime 4, (laughs) Battle of the Wild 2, gotta get it. I mean, obviously, I, I, well, I really would have loved to have seen a Zelda HD trilogy pack announced, but there's still plenty of space in the Zelda 35th anniversary window for that. I mean, like you said a couple of weeks ago or last week, Chris, it's a no-brainer for them. It's a free, it's it's just a free sell for Nintendo just to put Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. Yeah, especially now they've got Skyward Sword coming as well. I mean, might just release them on the eShop for a small window of time like they did with Mario 3D All-Stars and and that. But we'll see. I mean, it was very, very optimistic to get an announcement on something as exciting as the Switch Pro. I mean... At some point, Nintendo are going to announce a successor to the Switch. Whether or not that is a kind of Switch upgrade like a PS4 Pro with these extra stats, or it might be something entirely new, you know, with a new concept. I think Nintendo are always behind the curve a bit with hardware, and that's because they'd rather, you know, sit and and, and see the way that the industry develops before finding out what the industry could get more from, you know, what's currently on offer. I think, you know, especially in the current climate with nothing being usual, they're probably more likely to see how the PS5 and Xbox Series X go down. And yeah, like the way the industry moves on during a pandemic and and hopefully out the other side with this current generation before they throw their subversive take into the ring. I think if they announce something to launch at Christmas... I still think that would be hugely optimistic, but would be a surefire way to win Christmas. But then, like, Nintendo don't need to do that. They don't have to fight to compete because the Switch is still outselling the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. Like, I've read a stat. It might not be right, but I'm pretty sure it is. The Switch was the top-selling console every month last year, including the months that those two consoles launched. I think you're right. Which is mad. I think you're right. So Nintendo aren't going to be in a rush with it, you know? Anyway, what about you guys? What captured your particular set of attentions? Minty, Splatoon, I guess so, yes, yes. I, I haven't really had a chance to act upon the Direct itself on account of doing such things as um, uh, going back to work, um, this, that and the other, but I'm going to download the Triangle Strategy demo just to see what makes it just not a um, pixel fire emblem. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be something there that makes it stand out in that regard i'll say this to you clear a bit of time because i played it for about 25 minutes this morning and haven't got to control my character yet <laughs> oh okay Ooh, there's law minty, minty loves a story though minty I does do. love a oh, story I tell you. You do. yeah i do you do i do what else yeah splatoon 3 looks um interesting but i'm not really gonna give any thought to that because it doesn't come out until next year <laughs> that's that's the pitfall when it comes to a Nintendo Direct, mm. don't go in expecting anything or wanting to get excited about anything because it's not going to work out well for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've got Pokemon's birthday coming up in a few days. Ooh, so yeah. I wonder, I think, I think there's probably going to be a, a specific Pokemon Direct. Hopefully remakes of Diamond and Pearl, but even more hopefully, let's go Johto. I'm not really bothered about Generation 4. <laughs> there we go. How about you, Chris? What uh, what, what particularly piqued your interest? All sorts of things, really. I mean, 
like like you've both said, I think the key for any sort of Nintendo announcements is just to go in, almost go in blind. Just don't expect anything. Just don't come with any sort of pre <laughs> preconceived ideas of what you want to see, and just enjoy the event. Because I think they always have a real sense of ceremony around them. And as soon as they announced there was going to be this big, chunky direct for the first time in, like you said, a good year and a half, it was a big deal. That you know, We were all excited. Our Patreon-exclusive Discord was a fire, truly a blaze. Oh, yeah. But I, I told Georgia that day in the morning when it was on that she was going to be working. She was going to be out until quite late. And I said, when you come in, it's going to be about 9.30. I will be getting the TV ready to watch the direct. I know that's quite early, but I will be revving up and just get myself settled. <laughs> but once it started, even though I assumed she'd be doing other things, she sat down and watched the whole thing. Aww. And even with kind of a tempered interest in games, she was really wrapped from start to finish. Like that format works for people, even if it's not something you're that interested in. Yeah. And, you know, she enjoyed looking and sort of picking out the things she thought looked interesting. She was postulating on why all the female characters in Xenoblade were so unnecessarily well endowed. Oh, yeah. She was kind of helping me pull the games out of the cupboard to eBay in anticipation of Switch releases, like I always do. <laughs> so for those counting, this time that was Ninja Gaiden Sigma and Sigma 2 on the Vita, as well as Metopia on the 3DS, <laughs> all went on the eBay pile. I don't think it was a blockbuster direct like we've had in the past, but it did showcase for me, I think, why... The Switch is such an interesting system now alongside these other much more powerful machines. Because even if you own a Switch alongside something else, we're we're well past the point where the Switch is going to get every multi-platform release. Mm. And I think, being honest, like Immortals Phoenix Rising and Outer Worlds, they're probably some of the last that are going to be kind of like, yeah. you know, regular AAA games that happen to, to launch in a cut-down version on, on the Switch as well. But there is just, there's so much of this cool double A stuff, <laughs> like the weird remasters from Square Enix of obscure kind of SNES RPGs. Oh, yeah. I, I'm interested to see what some of those are like. The the indie title, I can't remember the name of it, but the one that was being published by Annapurna. Oh. And it's it's basically the new game from the guy who did Donut County. Card game, first person shooter yeah, type yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, that did look cool. And then you've also got the big hitters from Nintendo, like you said, like Mario Golf and, and Splatoon 3. And it's it's just such an essential system. I, if you're really interested in games, I don't know how you don't own a Switch. Obviously, like you said, selling like it does, most people do own a Switch. <laughs> but if, if you don't and you consider yourself someone who is invested in video games, it's it's essential. You need to have one. And it shows that, you know, you might not be playing Assassin's Creed on your Switch, like a brand new release, but you will be playing something cool like No More Heroes 3. Like the console has its place. Like you, I, I am quite excited to try Skyward Sword, even though, you know, I owned a copy, as I so often do, and I never played it on the Wii, <laughs> but I would like to try it without motion controls, without kind of that being tied to the experience. I'm really excited to play Metopia on the big screen because it's a lovely game and it's essentially a hybrid sequel to both Tomodachi Life, that odd life sim on the 3DS, oh, yeah. as well as the, the fantastic mini RPG that was built into Street Pass on the 3DS. That was so good. That was yeah, so, I love great. That. I am, I keep joking, but I am keen to play Stubbs the Zombie for the first time in about 15 years after playing on the original Xbox. I, I don't know anything about it. Is it like a cult classic? Yeah, it's one of those, it's a third person game. You you kind of possess other people to solve puzzles. Right, okay, yeah. It's, it's good fun and providing it's, you know, a solid port, that'd be worth a play, I think. I, I might even finally give Ninja Gaiden a proper go. Mm. You know, my, my two Vita copies have been embarrassingly sealed as long as I've owned them. 
which is great to sell on eBay because <laughs> I found out Sigma 2 is worth a pretty penny if it's nice. sealed. But, you know, it means that I, I would like to try those at some point, even if I'm probably going to be very bad at them. Yeah, my friend um, my friend Steve said that the Ninja Gaiden games are very, uh, very sort of Dark Souls, pre-Dark yeah. Souls which definitely tickles my pickle. <laughs> uh, so I'm, you know, I think uh, I'll certainly certainly be on the lookout for a, for a physical copy yeah. of that that I can, you know, play in, and trade in afterwards. Ninja Gaiden made the news recently because the the uh, the original NES one, because for the first time since its release, somebody has completed a bona fide no damage run. Oh, I did see just that. Just a couple of weeks wow. ago. Yeah. Very recent. I watched I watched the video. It basically involves you having superhuman fingers mm. to be able to to attack and cancel the attack at such a ridiculous rate that you you can beat a certain boss without taking damage that was thought impossible. But yeah, someone's done the it. Final boss. They had an unavoidable attack that we thought nobody would be able to do. But if you hit the body of the final boss so many times that you can actually defeat it before this massive head flies at you and takes off a chunk of your health. It's incredible, incredible watch. Goodbye. And it's it's not an easy game to begin with, so having to get all the way up to there, no damage, and then pull off this insane strategy, it's really excellent. It's a, it's a fantastic achievement, for sure. Well done to... That man there. <laughs> hmm? <laughs> Directs are just a really wholesome event. That's that's the long and short of it, really. And, and I'm really pleased that, you know, as... Nintendo started sort of shirking E3 proper quite a long time ago for for these kind of shorter, you know, just stuffed segments, as well as kind of the long form gameplay stuff in Treehouse. And at first everyone sighed. And yet now in the context of something like Infinite Lockdown, that was a real high point in my month. (laughs) Yeah, And it's it's great to have that kind of like back to back announcement reel that's just all joy, even if it's stuff I'm not particularly interested in. I just, (laughs) I just like watching it. So there we go. What did you think of the Nintendo Direct? Are you as excited for some of those games as we are? Tell us what you liked. So, what have we played this week? Games. I'm going to kick us off. Super Mario 3D World, hot on the back of last week's activity. I say last week's, it was about four days I played it for, which is ridiculous because I 100%ed the main game to unlock the final world. And I was not enjoying that final level. It is a horrendous gauntlet that it lays out for you as a final challenge. So I thought rather than just get annoyed and quit and just kind of write the game off, I stopped playing it, I've lent it to Minty to try Bowser's Fury, and I'm very excited to hear how he's got on with it. But apart from that, I've played a lot of The Binding of Isaac, which you will have seen if you've subscribed to our YouTube channel, like good boys and girls. Hit that notification bell. (laughs) That's not the sound it makes. (laughs) (laughs) But there is another game that I've, I've picked up and started playing literally just this day, and it is a indie game called Glyph on the Nintendo eShop. As is the way with most games like this, I see it and I immediately want to get it. It is a simple 3D ball rolling around type game, (laughs) like Super Monkey Ball or Marble It Up, which I played recently as well. It had really nice reviews. It's got sort of nice cel-shaded graphics. It looked more 3D platforming-y and exploration-y than something like Marble It Up, which is just very arcade, fastest score, get all the things, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that, that is what it is. It is, uh, it, it's more of a, of a exploration game and just a sort of, 
yeah, like just a 3D platform experience. And it's really, really good. At first, I wasn't sure because the physics are really floaty. But once you get used to them, it's really, really fun. You can do a lot. Like It allows you to do a lot of in-air manipulation. It reminds me a bit of Super Meat Boy in that respect, where it's not realistic gravity. It's floaty. But it means you can, you know, sort of move, you know, the length of the screen and back again whilst in midair. Sometimes if you're going fast enough. Oh, I like that. Gives you a few different movement options. Like you can jump, but to charge a jump, you have to have touched a surface. Uh, that doesn't even need to be the floor. It can be a wall. So if you manage to sort of jump across like the desert, and if you land in the desert, you die, and, and hit a wall on the other side even if you don't get on top of it, but you hit the side of it, you can probably then just like use that charge to jump and jump and sort of just climb the wall. Uh, you can also bank a second jump, like a double jump. You can glide in midair. You sort of open the ball up like a beetle, which is really, really cool because there's lots of different skins for your character as well. And some really nice designs. Really, really nice. I've just unlocked sort of steampunk dragonfly type <laughs> thing. It's, oh, it's really, really cool. And uh, yeah, it's got lots of lore, which is, lore. is fine. The, the levels are basically split <laughs> into two different types of levels that you get exploration levels, which are called exploration levels, and then time time attack ones, which will have you obviously try and complete it as quickly as possible. And the, the time attack ones I don't find as fun. I mean, it's a bit obviously it's a bit more stressful. You've got a game like Marble It Up or Super Monkey Ball for things like that, but they're fine. I don't mind doing them. But fortunately, it's, it's a lot more sort of way towards exploration, which is which is yeah. It's really good. It's really, really good. It's, it's, I mean, I'm not sure if it will be by the time this episode comes out, but as of the time of recording, it's on sale. It's like 30% off because it's a new game. And yeah, I'd say um, it's worth checking out. Definitely. Tasty. So, Minty, mm. how have you got on with Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury? Plus. Well, I've only played Bowser's Fury, uh, which I have completed 100%. It's only a six-hour and I really enjoyed it, actually. Mm. It's it's got that nice it's got that nice three D world Mario Odyssey mashup. Yeah. Like you were saying, that nice sort of open world that opens up as you progress in the game. Lovely little architectural set pieces that have their own sort of mechanics, their own flavour, that sort of thing. The only thing that I re- didn't really like about it was Bowser's Fury, to be honest with you. Obviously I understand that that the Bowser fight is um, is an important part of the Mario experience. And I can't think of a way that they, they could have balanced out a little bit better, what with needing him to blow up um, the Fury blocks, this, that and the other, to get, um, to get some of the cat shines here and there. But it got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. Um, what, the Crisp Climb Tower. Mm. I was having a really lovely time with that, partly because the music was just extraordinary <laughs> really really wonderful but, oh, this is ice physics but it's all right because i have the uh the helicopter box thing which uh is one of my favorite power-ups in any mario game it's just just a really lovely peaceful thing to use oh yeah and then it start raining you'd see that horrible big gooey shell shoot into the air oh it's night time again and i've got to avoid bowser shooting fire and all the rest of it it's there were points where it was like, okay, this is just this is just ruined the flow for me. And because I was so gung ho on getting as many of the um of the shines as I could, I think I might have messed up the progression of fighting Bowser. 
because it got to a point where I was like, okay, um, I've, I've just got another shine, but he, he hasn't left. So okay. all right, I'm, I'm going to have to fight him, you know, become the old Super Saiyan cat Mario. Give and... him a slap. Yeah. Big old cat slap. Mm. <laughs> cat slap fever. Cat slap paddy whack. <laughs> Wasn't a huge fan of the Bowser fights themselves, but as a showcase of what many people are hoping is um, what Mario games are going to look like going forwards, I mm. thought it was... Um, yeah, an excellent little proof of concept, an excellent tech demo. I did read a review that said, oh, it can get a bit repetitive because you have to make the lighthouse shine in each world. You have to get <laughs> all the um, all the little uh, cat shards uh, <laughs> in each little bit of the world. And it's like, have you, have you played an, a Mario game before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eight red coins? This is, this is something that has happened in pretty much every Mario game, and... It's fine because you're not doing exactly the same thing each time by virtue of going through different shaped worlds with different mechanics. Whew. Sorry, got a little bit heated there. Totally understand. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Love Plessy. I do love oh, Plessy. Plessy. Do you agree that Plessy is much more useful in Bowser's Fury than in Mario 3D World? Yes. I rest my case. <laughs> What I really like about Bowser's Fury and, and all Mario games in, in recent times, really, Nintendo have one of the best sound teams in the world. Yeah. And 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 like you said, Minty, for some of those themes in that game and, and just across all of 3D World playing that again, they really, really go to town on composing good pieces of music. <laughs> you know, it, it's really, really... It seems silly to say because all games have music now. <laughs> but I think we've... <laughs> There's even music in video games these days. <laughs> but we, we've got to this point where lots and lots of big titles have almost like filmic soundtracks. Yeah. And they, they definitely have a place, if, you know, in certain games, in certain styles, certain genres, certain franchises, I guess. But I love that, that Mario, and you see it in Mario Kart, and you see it in, in the 3D Mario games, they have proper composed like stage music. Mm. And... You know, every time Nintendo put out those little videos of just like, oh, here's our sound team just wigging out on Mario Kart 8's main theme. They are having such a good time yeah. because the, the, these tracks are insane. And, and this, just the musical skill and prowess of everyone performing on them is consistently mind-blowing as well. <laughs> and it's, it's just lovely that that's still such a big consideration for them to make their games feel like they do. Lovely. Have you played more Binding of Isaac as well, Minty? Oh, yes, yes. I'm, I'm chugging along quite nicely, oh, getting yes. all my uh, post-its uh, filled up. I've unlocked the Polaroid now, so I can start doing chest runs, which is nice. And I got my first Mega Satan kill the other day. Ah, well done. About. I think I might, have, I might have recorded that one, so we'll look out for that one um, <laughs> on the Inky Dunk channel for sure. Lovely. I look forward to seeing that. Defo, defo, defo. How about you, Chris? What have you played this week? More Outer Worlds? Yeah, a little bit of Outer Worlds, a little bit of Isaac, a little bit of Mario, obviously, as we've just said. But mainly this week, I have perhaps foolishly picked up a new 3DS XL to replace my regular oh, new yeah. 3DS. And this has come from having a real hankering lately to play more 3DS. And I've wanted to make more progress in Chrono Trigger from when Minty recommended it to me quite a long time ago now. Oh, yeah. I've wanted to revisit some of the 3DS games that I, I bought quite late on in the cycle and just never really got around to giving a proper go. And I always found, especially because this generation I went with the smaller model, just the regular new 3DS, my, my big fat hands get awful cramp when playing it for that long. Yeah. And, and I was hoping that having a bigger device was going to be better for my future arthritis. <laughs> and... 
you know, I, I really love the Switch. We talk about it all the time. I really, really do love the Switch. But it's it's a big premium glossy thing. And even though it's now quite old, like it's it's running on pretty aging hardware, it's still a device that I use primarily on the TV and not that often as a handheld, really, outside of just like bits and pieces in bed here and there. And in the same way, you know, everyone has a phone in their pocket they take everywhere, but you might have a tablet that kind of like lives at home. I, I sort of felt like that with the Switch, that the Switch is the console that's there on the TV and around the house. And if I go out somewhere, I still normally take a Vita or a 3DS. And what I love about the, the 3DS and what I've really missed is it just, it feels like a proper toy. And it's it's ready to be kind of like popped in your bag for a train trip or an evening away or whatever. And it's just really nice to to hold. <laughs> it's just a really playful thing. And I think the DS kind of shape always really lent itself to that kind of feel. I think like the the jump from going from the smaller model to the big one is a bit a bit of a shock at first like in the same way when i had i think it was my iphone 5 and then i got a 6 plus as my next upgrade and when i first yeah. when i first took that out of the box i was like fucking hell i've made a mistake <laughs> this is humongous but within 10 minutes it's like i couldn't use the the 5 anymore you just get used to the bigger screen and you know suddenly on the on the 3ds xl the pixels are there they're very present because remember the 3ds is only 240p god yeah it's not it's not a high resolution screen so we're not really dealing with big numbers but within a few minutes of play i I can't go back and again it just it feels better in my hands it's much more comfortable the the stereoscopic 3d feels kind of deeper and more encompassing just because it's on a on a larger screen and you know it's always been a gimmick in a lot of games but spending a few days with it cranked right up for the first time in years it is a gimmick i really miss mm. and this came up last week when we were talking about 3d land it's a lovely thing and again it's like a cool toy it's just nice to have in front of your eyes and and we don't have that anymore and we probably never will yeah i've really been blown away by how much i've enjoyed playing a lot of old kind of not special titles just ones i had already installed from the eShop. So throwaway titles like Urban Trial Freestyle, which is just a, a trials ripoff, essentially. Mm. A kind of Diablo-style clone from Square Enix called Heroes of Ruin that came out a long, long time ago that I've had in, in the cupboard for ages. You know, they're, they're not 10 out of 10 games, but seeing them with that kind of sprawling depth in 3D just makes them more fun. So the, the kind of the, the pits in Heroes of Ruin, because you're, you're basically looking from above your character or the buildings in the distance of the the 2.5D urban trials, it really makes a difference. It really makes those games come alive, even if they're not that technically impressive in terms of like the texturing or the modeling or anything else. They just, they feel a bit more real and the 3D really does help that. And also like even with the 3D turned off, the 3DS is the best console to play Picross on, hands down. <laughs> I, there's, you know, I've I've gone through two whole Picross games on on the Switch, but it's it's just not the same. I don't know what it is about the kind of the resolution and the size and it being kind of like a pocketable thing. I've just loved playing more Picross, and I was shocked as well to recall just how many Picross e games I had bought already. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they did. I think eight of them on the 3DS in total. Yeah, as, as well as Jupiter did Pokemon Picross. They did a uh, Hello Kitty Picross. Did they do the Zelda one? They did do that as well. You know, there, there is a lot of Picross puzzling if you want it, and that's not even including like the <laughs> um, the virtual console stuff, mm. like the original Game Boy Mario's Picross, the SNES one. They're all on there. There's, there's an awful lot to play. And there's something about the screen layout and the ability to use the stylus if you want or not. It just, it makes it Picross's natural home. 
as I say, I, I love the Switch more than any console I've ever owned, but the Switch can't play Ridge Racer 3D. <laughs> and, and as long as that's the case, I'm really glad I now have this chunky 3DS in reserve. And I've, I've just really enjoyed sort of playing around with it for a few days. Nice. That's really exciting. And I have made plans to follow suit. <laughs> we are all horrible influences on one another. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Can't believe you killed that man. <laughs> <laughs> So, are you ready? Ready for what? For my ninth favourite video game of all time. <gasps> yeah. Let's do it, let's do it. I had a dream the other night that I was in some sort of dystopian steampunk theme park. I don't know whether or not it was the theme of the park or just where the world had got to at the point in my dream that I was. But one of the main features of the park was Donald Trump actual Donald Trump and he was contained within this enormous brass cylinder sort of like a like a power station cooling tower <laughs> and his fat fucking head was poking out the top spouting raw unrefined gobshite and his feet were sticking out the bottom so he could just totter around like an absolute overgrown dick right <laughs> For some reason, me and my wife were sat on our sofa watching this unfold before our eyes in, in the dream. And this mech-suited Donald Trump decided to come and plonk himself down in between us on the sofa, where our dog, Pip, was curled up under a blanket. We watched in slow motion as Trump's monumental copper ass fell upon the Pip-shaped lump to squash her surely to her death. Jeez. We were absolutely incensed. We burst off the sofa in panic, only to discover that Pip was absolutely fine and she'd snuck out of her hidey hole and was causing some mischief around the back of the sofa. But for those few seconds where I was sure she had died, I had this notion that I could use this moment for good. I'd be able to, to create a marketing campaign to finally destroy Trump with the banner, Trump kills puppies. <laughs> Unfortunately, that didn't come to pass and Trump was now stuck, unable to get up from the sofa. Fortunately, though, the Night King, the villain from Game of Thrones, appeared to help out. We chatted through a plan of how to remove him, and then me and the Night King had a little kiss. <laughs> all in all, it's one of the stranger dreams that I've had. Probably on a par with a certain fellow who had a dream in my ninth favourite video game of all time. This young boy dreamt of a small island in the middle of the ocean with a mountain... <laughs> <laughs> with a mountain serving as a pedestal for a giant egg, housing the mythical windfish. Oh. This, <laughs> this dreamlike island contains almost familiar faces and, and half-recalled names and places and, and more whimsy than you can throw a secret seashell at. As you learn more about the island and the windfish sleeping in the egg, you realise that the entire fate of the inhabitants revolves around whether or not you wake from this dream. I remember when my brother said to me, You've got a Game Boy, so you should probably get The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. It's meant to be good. I'd never played a Zelda game before. I'd never heard of Zelda before. But I took my brother's word for it, and I remember picking the game up in my local Woolworths on Broadstairs Seafront, which has since been turned into a Tesco Express. <laughs> and I honestly don't remember much about my first stint playing the game, other than I'd got to the point where you rescue Bow Wow, a chain chomp in, in disguise, who eats the flowers in the swamp to grant you passage into the second dungeon. And there was a, a puzzle in the second dungeon where you had to kill three enemies in a certain room in the correct order to get a key to progress. And this 
absolutely stumped me. And I remember exploring every other inch of the game in the meantime, including pretty much managing to get to the third dungeon, but not having the right item to allow me to do so from, you know, from the second dungeon. And so the game was resigned to my enormous plastic Game Boy carry case, and I continued to play my 79th and 98th favourite video games of all time, and Alleyway. <laughs> now, when Chris <laughs> talked about this game, you said about how one of the great things about handheld games is that you not only associate them with a particular time, but also with a particular place. Yeah. And the place that is hardwired to Link's Awakening in my brain is is the site of, of my second stint with the game, where I found the solution to the second dungeon puzzle and, and broke the back of the game. And this was our family holiday we took when I was in junior school. So I would have been about, I don't know, nine or ten probably. And we'd gone to stay in a, a cottage in Ross-on-Wye. And it was one of the last holidays we went on as, as a full family because my oldest brother, Graham, who's nine years older than me, he was on the cusp of going off to university and, you know, growing out of family holidays. And I remember him driving my mum's old red Rover Metro and us listening to Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat on cassette tape and singing along at the top of our voices whenever we took drives on this holiday. I remember going for walks along the river with my dad and telling him about an African storyteller we'd had visit us in school and, and retelling some of his fables. I remember our family friend, Roz, who had come with us, giving me and Alex a bit of dairy milk chocolate as a prize to who could guess what time we would arrive at the cottage. A, a classic <laughs> trick to get us to stop singing Andrew Lloyd Webber, probably. <laughs> And I remember sitting on the sofa in this cottage as I entered Catfish's Moor, the fifth dungeon in Link's Awakening. And I remember being absolutely in awe of the game at this point because I'd got the flippers from the previous dungeon and, and being able to swim in the watery areas of the map. That, to me, felt like I'd just unlocked the whole world. I could swim, I could dive, I could explore. It felt like I was going out of bounds because I'd spent so many years with this game, I think. <laughs> Just, just you know, being consigned to, to, to land in these very small areas that, that I'd, uh, you know, I, I was able to explore at that point. One of the things that I remember really striking me about the game was the sense of peril. It wasn't just about whether or not something would live or die like you get in, obviously, a lot of RPGs and, and big adventure games. These characters were struggling with more existential threats. If Link were to wake up, they, they wouldn't die. They would cease to exist. And you're told outright by the bosses of the dungeons that if you wake the windfish, the island and its people will, will disappear. And I remember really struggling in my naive youth with, with that fact. And I, I debated with myself whether or not to complete the game or not, because, you know, I didn't want to be the cause of these people's demise. And I genuinely at times I remember thinking, I, no, I'm, I'm not going to do I'm not going to do this. <laughs> There's a surprisingly mournful tone to the game that belies a lot of its whimsy. You know, whilst you've got funny characters, strange Mario Universe cameos, a toadstool huffing farmer, the game has this sombre sense to it. It's it's definitely present in the music. There's, I think there's more minor than major music in most areas. You've got Marin, the young girl who you befriend on the island. There's something quite tragic about her story. She's so alone and isolated that she finds Link and 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 is is totally captivated by him. You know, maybe knowing that you know a, a relationship with him can't be, and she's struggling with her own existential crisis. It's significantly more poignant than the file size of the Game Boy cartridge would denote. <laughs> I think the fact that probably the text document I've used to write
like my notes on this is probably bigger than the entire game data. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane, isn't it? It is. The, the tricks in compression in the past is just unreal. Speaking of the music... I think that the Ballad of the Windfish may well be the finest melody ever written. It is everything to me. <laughs> it's the very embodiment of the word nostalgia. I just, I can't, yeah, I can't even, des- I can't even describe how it makes me feel. It is just so, it's so special. And there are some superb compositions present in the game elsewhere as well, especially Taltal Heights, the area in the north of the map. It's, it's brilliantly driving and exciting music that, again... The fact that it's being, you know, played through the extraordinarily basic sound chip of the Game Boy still managed to capture the same type of excitement that you would get in, you know, like a full movie score. I mean, it's astoundingly epic for such a small game. And yeah, it's been revisited a couple of times. Firstly, Link's Awakening DX, the colorized version that was released on the Game Boy Color, had a few nice new features, including a photographer who you could encounter in a dozen or so places around the island to take photos of you, and then you could print off the photos on the Game Boy printer. Uh, There was the new color dungeon hidden in the graveyard, which had a few nice color-themed puzzles. There were some notable fixes and and small quality-of-life improvements to the game as well. There are now stone owl beaks in the dungeon to pair with stone owl statues for hints, and they also fixed one of the biggest glitches in the original version of the game, which was the screen warp glitch, which is something I made liberal use of to find my way around the world in, like, my first time with the game. The way this worked was, if, if you I think if you paused or pressed select, I think it was, to bring up your map, if you did that whilst you were moving between screens, you would then teleport to the other side of the next screen, bypassing any obstacle that was in your way. It would often shift half of the active assets in the screen as well. Like sometimes you could then go off the next screen and back again and it would all sort of be reset and be fine. Sometimes it would break the game. There was one dungeon, the seventh dungeon, Eagle Tower where part of the puzzle has you throw this this huge metal ball around the floor to knock down columns that are holding the upper floors of the tower up, which is, is again, it's a fantastically ambitious um, puzzle and and sort of like environmental puzzle to solve. But I couldn't figure this puzzle out in the original game. And I was convinced that the only way to solve it was to use the screen warp. And, And I remember thinking that in fixing the screen warp for DX they would make the seventh dungeon unsolvable. I was genuinely (laughs) panicked about that. Obviously, it didn't turn out to be the case. Then, of course, the game was more recently revisited in the shiny but slightly stuttery Switch version. And it is a beautiful, beautiful game with a gorgeous art style. It is a shame about the frame rate issues. But I I think you said it best, Chris, when you said that it was too shiny, really, for the whimsy and surreality of the game. Like... The lack of clarity that existed in the original game added to that overall strange tone of the game and, and being able to, to to see these weird things too crisply and clearly and too beautifully animated doesn't necessarily work. It's like if you see lifelike versions of cartoon characters, like if you see the <laughs> renders of what Homer Simpson would look like in real life. If those proportions and features were real, it's absolutely horrifying. It just doesn't it doesn't work, you know? Or like if you see the live action in inverted commas version of the Lion King, it's like, well, it doesn't work as well because actually there was something about the exaggerated brush strokes of cartoons that allow you to to convey that story and the emotions. Uh, it, that worked a lot better for the content than seeing it in you know, photorealistic CGI. 
I played through the Switch version once and I was hoping there would be a patch to fix the frame rate issues so I could try it again on the hard mode that they have in there. I mean, I, st- I think I still would like to do that one day, even if they don't fix it, because apparently they were like, nah, sorry, that's it, mate. <laughs> Lazy. Lazy boys. Lazy. Lazy Grezzo. But I am absolutely thrilled that I bought the collector's edition of the game. It's got this steelbook case in there, which is in the style of the, it looks like the original Game Boy. And it's got the title screen of the original game on the front. And on the back, it's, it's the back of the Game Boy. And you can see the original Link's Awakening cartridge inserted in the back. And that cartridge, that like physical cartridge, it means so much to me. And the fact that I've got that collector's edition sat on my bookshelf with the original box and the original cartridge, which has, you know, half of the label faded almost into nothingness. That's a very precious union happening right there. It, it, it brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> this is a game that is so entwined with my childhood from my first purchase of it to my discovery of it on the family holiday to my rediscovery of it in year seven with you, Chris. Yeah. And, and literally every single sprite and sound effect resonates so deeply that I, I find myself sometimes unable to identify what elements of the game are real or imagined. It's it's all so surreal and so surreally wrapped in my own memories. It's a very, yeah, it feels, it is part of me. The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, it's not only the most succinct representation of my early childhood. It's also my ninth favourite video game of all time. R3 cents approved. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> What a cracker. Barely talked about the game at all. Don't need to. Don't need to. I mean, we, we've said this loads of times. Some of the games that mean the most of us, it's not always about anything the game does itself. Mm. It's it's kind of the, the emotional weight that these things carry because of maybe when we played them or who we played them with or the period of time we were playing them in. And and I think, as you said, that that is a game that you've had these different phases with is is what makes it so special. It's like, yeah, 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 the game itself is great. We've we've all talked about that. Between me and Minty, we we said different sort of facets of the game and how it worked and a bit of the story and everything else. But that's not necessarily the sole reason why it's so important for you. And that's what's really lovely about these, especially as we get like to the, the top tier of games on this list. It's it's very rarely gonna be about necessarily saying this is a a game that functions in this wonderful way that's mechanically perfect. It's always going to be as well as it's something that I played that brought a tear to my eye because I was seven and, <laughs> and this really important thing was happening at that time. Yeah. And that's, that's really, really nice. It just, it, it gives all these games just this added, like almost like a, a mythos around them. Mm. You know, they're, they're not just bits of code. They're, they're actual emotional things that we have proper connections with. Yeah. And anyone can... Like talk about a Zelda game because you are you're, you're Zelda. You're going through all the dungeons, <laughs> this, that, and the other. Like, it's 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 old news. Like, everybody knows that you swing a sword around. You, you at the end of it, you confront a massive pig, and then <laughs> things go back to normal until the next game comes out. Let's hear more about what it means to you as a person. Like Chris said, the, the time of your life that made it mean so much to you. I mean. For the system it was on, it was a incredibly impressive game in its scope and its hardware, but also in those themes that you mentioned, these great looming threat of annihilation simply by doing uh, what heroes do and defeating evil. Like, I remember that was something that really 
that really gave me pause to think as well. Am I doing the right thing by waking the windfish? What about all the people? What about the animal village? Mm. What about the crocodile and his bananas? <laughs> yeah, sail. Oh mm. dear, little boy. Uh, it's got a real depth to it that belies its uh, its simplistic nature, I think, for a Game Boy game. It's really, really wonderful. Incredible game. So there we have it. My ninth favourite video game is, of course, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Top stuff. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do subscribe and share the podcast around. Engage with us on our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash r3cents. Chat to us on there about what you think of these games. Tell us what you're playing. And please do tell us what your top 10 favourite video games of all time are. We are collating them for a future bonus episode, so yours may feature. (laughs) You can also reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn at Chaz underscore Hodges Clement underscore Moore If you're really enjoying what we're doing and fancy getting even more out of us then please do head over to patreon.com slash r3cents and check out some of the amazing perks on offer there and please do join us next week for a very special bonus episode where we'll be chatting with the independent games developer RNG Party all about typing and text-based video games. It is an absolute cracker of an episode. You don't want to miss it. It's a treat. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Take a time machine back to before the world went to hell around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games? That's what I want to talk about. If you're cool enough, join us and listen to Less Than 2000. Because that's all we talk about. Adam and Chad live Less Than 2000. With a purposeful grimace and a terrible smile, join Nikki and Wyatt as we stomp our way through the history of Toho's Daikaiju films in Discuss All Monsters. Are you telling me we're going to discuss all monsters? We won't stop until there isn't a monster left to discuss. Smash that play button like Godzilla and King Kong smash an 18th century Japanese pagoda. Only on the Greenlit Podcast Network.